and welcome to episode 224 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for Science Meddling Aliens Research to Save. Ooh. Oh, thank you very much. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. Hello. <sighs> Hold on, the clouds are still going, right? Crowds. <laughs> the clouds are going wild. Uh, Crowdy with a chance of applause. Yeah. Applause. <laughs> yes, it's either contagious or I'm not the only one. Either way, I am happy. <laughs> All right. So we only have one little bit of news this week. Okay. And that is that during the um, Super Bowl, which as I understand it is some sort of uh, soccer game. Oh, I thought it was something about owls. Right. We got Superb the owls. first uh, little teaser footage for Marvel's Disney Plus series. So we got the first look at Falcon and Winter Soldier, One Division, and... One shot, because it's all they had filmed, I guess, of Loki, since that only started filming, like, last week. Do you think they filmed that just for this it's teaser? It's possible, but I know production had started just a okay. week or two ago, so it's possible they had a couple of shots in the can, but it's also possible they just said, okay, here's like, Right, here's a shot. couple lines that sound generic, but menacing, but fun. Go to town and see what happens. It's funny. So these look very intriguing. So the Falcon and Winter Soldier footage includes, you know, it got some shots of Bucky with his new shorter haircut. Yep. Um, we got some shots of uh, Sam practicing with Cap's shield. Yep. Um, we got a couple of brief shots of Zemo. Um, no footage of, oh, one brief shot of U.S. agent or whatever we're going to call him. You know, fake Captain America. Oh, um, right, Running yeah. through some sort mm-hmm. of uh, football game. Um, nothing of Sharon Carter, although we know she's going to be in this too. The WandaVision footage mostly just focused on showing them in various like sitcom yeah. scenarios from the 50s up through the 80s. Yeah. You know, different outfits and, and set dressings and tones mm-hmm. uh, in keeping with each of those eras. Mm-hmm. Um, although there's one or two shots that show that there's obviously more going on yes. than meets the eye. Like she gets pulled out of a TV at one point if mm-hmm. you look at it in slow motion and she's there in color and everything else including vision is in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the Loki shot is just one shot of him. In some sort of like prison get up mm-hmm. sitting, presumably he's a prisoner and he's sort of threatening people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so these look really good. I mean, these look, you know, TV shows obviously look great these days. Witness all the Star Trek stuff we've been watching in The Mandalorian and everything. TV shows these days on a decent enough budget are feature film quality. But uh, but yeah, these look like they could have been taken straight out of early footage, you know, without all the effects done. But early footage from, you know, one of the movies. This could have been... Yeah, you know, like the Falcon yeah. shots here look like they could have been teases from some I new mean, upcoming they look Captain the America same, movie. Yeah, or something. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it's exciting. It's gonna be. It's gonna feel weird to turn on the TV and watch like new, like episodic stuff. Yeah, I remember it feeling weird when we watched The Mandalorian the first couple of episodes. Like it's Star Wars, but it's it's like new Star Wars, but it's on TV, hmm. live action. Like it felt really weird for the first couple of episodes. Just like it's it's never been a thing before. So seeing, but we've gotten Marvel TV shows before, but it, this is sort of like a di- of a different breed. But maybe it won't feel quite as weird because we've gotten so much Marvel TV shows before, even if they haven't been quite as you know official, quite as blessed by Marvel Studios. Right. Um, yeah, but all this looks really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your comic of the week? Oh, this week I picked Suicide Squad number two. Um, I really like this issue. It picks up from last issue. Uh, I guess what uh, that's why it was numbered one. And then this one's number two. But um, in this issue, we see the continuation of the building of the new Suicide Squad team led by the new Suicide Squad team leader, uh, whatever his name is, not Amanda Waller. Um, and these people are rebels, which were kind of like, 
um, activist styles style team with Meta Powers um, going around the world, and they were targeted by Amanda Waller and her replacement to build a new Suicide Squad team. So they were basically <laughs> recruited poached. against poached, their world. Basically. Yeah, they were poached and how um, recruited against their world. Blame brain bombs planted in their heads by Deadshot. I guess it's that easy now, um, and. And uh, forced into a mission of um, important government, whatever. And everything is being surveilled. But the way that this issue rolled out was really, really clever. Because you think one thing is happening at the beginning of the issue. And then you see the same dialogue happen at the end of the issue. And it's in a completely different uh, framing. And you understand what really is happening. Which is that these people who work really well together. And are still not exactly gelling with their forced team are following their own agenda after all and doing it in a way that's not getting them discovered by the people who are literally surveilling them with uh, comms uh, fused to the back of their spines. So that's cool. I really enjoy this issue. I like the character work in this. I like the diversity of the cast. I like the art. I like the writing. I think it's really clever and I can't wait to see where this particular installment goes. So... That's going to be a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, it was really good. I was happy to see that you enjoyed it so much. I've been, I've been a fan of Tom Taylor since he wrote, since he started writing Injust- the Injustice tie-in comics, however long that was, four or five years ago, and immediately out of the gate with those. I'm like, this is a video game tie-in comic. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be this good, but the the dialogue and the characterization and the way it, it like the emotional moments, which we ha- we haven't really gotten here. Yep. Um, really hit you in the gut. Like you're reading an, you're reading a video game tie-in comic, and like some third string character is killed. And it's not even the main continuity. It's some video game tie-in continuity. And he kills off, you know, Blue Beetle or whatever. And it makes you cry. And I'm like, what is this? You shouldn't be crying at <laughs> Blue Beetle dying in a, in, a, in a video game tie-in comic. Mm-hmm. But he's really deaf with his characterization. And, you know, as I've said before, this is Bruno Redondo on art, who he worked with. He also came to my attention on Injustice. Like the very first issue of Injustice they were working on together. And they're, they're, they're continuing their partnership here. So, they're you know, they've been working together for years, almost exclusively on that stuff. Um, they really gel well together and it's really and it's a really clever concept here because I was saying before either you it's hard to do a Suicide Squad relaunch and make it emotionally engaging and have stakes because either they populate it with Z-listers in which case you don't care if they die or they populate it with A-listers and you know they're not gonna die right and even if they did you wouldn't really believe it it wouldn't hit you you'd be surprised if they killed off like you'd be surprised if they killed off like Sinestro or whatever but I'm not sure you get really emotionally invested in it right but here if they introduce a bunch of kind of like almost heroes Mm -hmm. um and make you like them and because they're all new characters you could you can kill them off and hopefully you know you'll care because you're invested in them and you want to see them succeed against you know the evil government apparatus that's trying to control them exactly and then you've got you know your dead shot and your Harley Quinn in there for you know, flavor star power and yeah. zebra man also for some reason that's fun. um <laughs> but yeah no it's it's really good i'm enjoying it so far i really like i think my favorite part is the cohesion of the unit like the way that they all work together how the teleporter knows exactly where to teleport herself so that the woman with uh i'm sorry um huh the person i shouldn't say that because they expressly are of they them pronouns and so i don't know how to refer I'm I'm exposing my own ignorance here, but I, I definitely shouldn't say woman. I should say person. Um, so the the person with the wings is going to catch them, and the way that the um, 
the teammate that is like the big bruiser on the team knows exactly how to ask the teleporter for help so that she can throw a punch and the timing and the synchronization between that unit that team that feeling that you get that they really have worked together for a long time they know each other's strengths they've they've practiced together working together for a long time and and seeing that in action is something I don't think I've seen before like you see the suicide squad and one of the more interesting things is how they each differ and how their strengths kind of work together but in this sense with this new team you really feel that they have each other's backs well, that, in a way that that's the suicide another, squad doesn't that's another new really and interesting take on it because normally the suicide squad is full they, of they usually hate each other yeah and sometimes they like grudgingly get along like harley quinn and deadshot have been on the team together for so long now that they kind of have a, Re- a bit of a mutual yeah. respect mm-hmm. but usually the team especially when you bring in new members they don't want to be there they hate each other they hate amanda waller but moreover because amanda waller for decades now has been built up to be like this unstoppable character like she's always five steps ahead she's planned for everything she's you know she's got plans within plans you know nothing ever manages to stick to her as far as you know accusations or crimes or anything like that so you know that anytime the the members of new members of the squad i'm like oh i'm gonna get out i'm gonna get out of this and i'm gonna get my revenge on it you know it's gonna fail right right but here not only do we have a new head of the squad Mm-hmm. who we don't know. Maybe he is more fallible than Waller. So maybe they are going to be able to overcome him and escape. Mm-hmm. But we also have this unit within a unit, all these new hero characters that are used to working together. And so they you get the sense that maybe this new guy is bit off more than he could chew because it's not like he's recruited some some third-string Batman villain and teamed him up with some third-string Superman villain, some third-string Green Lantern villain, people who don't know each other and aren't used to working together. He's brought in this unit that has unit cohesion. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't seemingly have nearly as much experience doing this kind of thing as Amanda Waller does. So maybe these people will be able to work together, you know, with some losses, presumably, but will be able to work together and overcome this guy, you know? So yep. it kind of gives us a more believable underdog story that we think they might actually have a chance. Mm-hmm. Ver- rather, you know, as opposed to like, oh, Amanda Waller has brought in, you know, Zebraman, Sonar, and Calendar Man. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm really worried for Amanda Waller. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit more believable here. Yeah, no, I, I'm really enjoying it too. Yeah, it's it's different. It's very different and it's very good. Anyway, so what I did pick, you pick? I picked Justice League number 39. Awesome. Um, so this is the conclusion of Scott Snyder's run on Justice League. And it was interesting in the way that it went out kind of not with a bang, but with a whimper huh. in a way, because the whole story has been building up to this big confrontation between the League and Perpetua. And, you know, they've got the, the Justice versus Doom thing and they're fighting this last ditch hopeless battle not because they think they can win but because they think that if they show um just how how far they're willing to go to to stand up for humanity and how much they believe in humanity that enough of humanity will be swayed back towards believing in justice right that it will tip the scales toward perpetua and so you know we've been trained by a lifetime's worth of superheroes to store stories to think okay obviously that's the way it's going to go and at the end of the last issue martian manhunter comes back and all of his glory mm-hmm. you know it's so like oh here comes you know, the last great hope and he's going to link everybody's minds together and it's going to be this, the orchestra is going to swell and it's going to be this really, mm-hmm. you know, fist pumping moment and they, they make their last play and it doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Humanity has been, you know, there's too much has gone wrong recently and we see like in the aftermath, some recent events are played out and it's like everything from what's been going on in Young Justice to Doomsday Clock to everything else. There's just been so many, so many messed up things going on mm-hmm. that, that 
the other heroes and the people in general, you know, don't quite believe quite enough. And so it fails and the scales remain tipped towards doom. Yep. And we're not, we're, it's a little unclear exactly what happens. Like, is Perpetua now have her full power? All we know is that the heroes are seemingly stripped of their, are not necessarily stripped of their powers, but they're, they're kind of stripped of their status as heroes. You yeah. know, like the world doesn't believe in them anymore. So they've kind of lost something ineffable, even if they still have their intrinsic powers. Like they're yes. standing there in these basic black outfits and just kind of well, looking that's how like they regular believe people. That, but yeah. No, no, no. Because that's how they believe that in the in the first issue following up um, after the events of last issue. They think they're, they're asking those questions. They're saying, did this happen? Like, wh- why are we even still alive? Like, is this a form of torture that Perpetua put us aside on the sidelines where we can watch? the fruit of our failure and not do anything about it or right. and whatever. It's, it and then seems it's revealed like, that. It seems like the Quintessence, which is this group of sort of powerful cosmic beings that dates back to Kingdom Come, although mm-hmm. their roster has changed a bit, but usually includes some combination of Ganthet, Zeus, sometimes the Phantom Stranger, sometimes Hera, yeah. sometimes Shazam, the wizard Shazam. Right. Um, they've sort of, pl- sort of removed them. They've, from this equation so now there's like separated they're cut off from the people that are supposed to believe in them and the people they're supposed to protect um and they're they've basically lost but they're given this one last ditch um chance to save humanity it's a little unclear exactly what they have to do and where they have to go well i mean that that's that's the setup of next issue well no because the next issue is by a completely different creative team and it doesn't follow from this at all so this is the question is what is this setting up so there's a lot there. It seemed it seemed to me in reading it that it was setting up this new timeline we've been talking about because oh, of some see. of the stuff in the dialogue was saying, oh, you know, you'll need to draw upon, you know, uh, you know, every ba- you know, everything, everything that's happened that up to was. up to that's now right. will matter. You'll have to draw upon the past and, and old old conflicts and allies that you might not remember. I'm like, oh, this is hinting towards this all-inclusive timeline that we've been talking that's about. That's right. Um, I'm less sure of that now, reading some of the stuff that's that's come out since, because it seems like Scott Snyder is teasing this essentially um, essentially Metal 2, like mm-hmm. this sequel to Metal that's going to follow up from this, and that'll be its own separate thing. So I'm less convinced that it's referencing the new timeline specifically, although it's all of a piece, and he's you know one of the big architects of the DC Universe these days. So it, it's not necessarily one or the other. But um, but I think it's more setting up that event, and maybe that will help set up the new timeline. Right. I don't know. But I think that's probably going to be like a big summer miniseries from him, and this is sort of setting that up. So the next issue of Justice League will just be like more of the team's regular adventures, and we'll have to wait for the next big Scott Snyder book to follow up from this directly. Yep. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely a ballsy way for your run on the flagship DC series to go out with all of the cast sort of like standing around saying, well, we lost. What do we do now? You know, right. nobody believes in us anymore. Um yeah, definitely not. You know, so you kind of feel like maybe this is less the end of Return of the Jedi and more the end of Empire Strikes Back, you yep. know, in this Metal 2 or whatever it's going to be. I mean, the 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 image was the teaser image is like Wonder Woman in like a sort of a metal style outfit having like this this um like golden chainsaw basically, like yeah. if you picture like this Amazonian like mm-hmm. magical chainsaw almost. It's mm-hmm. like going to be that level of like like metal to the nth degree, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um so, you know, it's going to be fun like Metal was and it'll, you know, follow up on some of this, some of this stuff. But based on the stakes that were set up here, it's going to have to be pretty huge. Um, 
and the stakes here are already pretty big because not only were we dealing with the entire multiverse, but also the reintroduction of the Justice Society and, mm-hmm. you know, the Justice Legion from the from DC 1 million and Commandy and the Justice League Beyond and all sorts of other possible futures and everything. So, yeah, it's going to have to be pretty big to top that. But, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely an interesting way for the run to go out. Yeah, that was, really that was an interesting end that ending. Yeah, that was... And at, at the same time, it was very hopeful, too, because it was like there's a purpose to this whole resetting of the timelines. Um, and it ties into this story arc. Like, it was all deliberately, really thoroughly mapped out forethought. And that's exciting to see where it comes. Well, it's it's not a coincidence. It it's here. not a coincidence that this is sort of yeah, coming course. to a head at the same time as what we're reading in Justice League Dark is coming to a head. Yep. As the same time as Doomsday Clock and everything yeah. else. Like it's everything all, it's, was so it's, meticulously it's all, planned. It's all yeah. been it's all been planned, and obviously the timing has changed somewhat because Doomsday Clock was massively delayed. But we're definitely on the on the edge of something, some big change. Um, coming in the next few months, this new timeline and whatever other ramifications of Doomsday Clock and whatever the ramifications of this are going to be. So mm-hmm. it definitely, I definitely feel like we're on the edge of finding out what the next big thing is going to be. And it feels like six or seven years ago, right before they unveiled, well, what was it, five or six? Well, however long ago it was before they unveiled Rebirth, and but even maybe more so three or four years before that, before they unveiled the new 52, it feels like we're on the, the edge of like a new 52 size changed in terms of like the status quo here so it remains to be seen how well they'll pull it off but it definitely feels like better coordinated than that was because that kind of took everybody by surprise except for a couple of editors uh when they decide to do the new 52 so that's awesome yeah. um so should we move on to your quiz ready so this week um because we're talking about star trek a lot these days this is an idea that came to me a while ago i'm not sure if i mentioned it on the show or not i thought we would rank um memorable star trek the next generation guest stars oh awesome so so this is part one of two i guess we'll probably do the other half next week so these are guest stars from the first four seasons of next generation so the criteria that i set for myself were these these have to be one-off guest star characters which does not does not mean the actors don't appear in many other episodes but these are characters that only appeared in one episode so no you know kerns or kalars or lores or you know hughes or Dr. Soong's or, you know, sure. or characters like that. We're talking, you know, one-off characters, even if they were played by actors like, you know, James Sloyan or, or Von Armstrong or Jeffrey Combs, who played many characters over the years. Right, you know? right. All right. So some of these may or may not be more memorable to you, especially the ones from the earlier seasons. But I've got down here the, the actor's name, the character's name, and the episode they appeared in. I can clarify them. So I've got nine, nine here. We don't have to rank all nine. Because okay, I feel I was like about that would say. take a long time. So I'll, why don't I give you all nine, and then maybe you can pick your top three. Okay. Or something like that. Okay. So just so this doesn't take forever. All right. So number one, James Sloyan. Everybody remembers James Sloyan. Yeah. James Sloyan is Admiral Jarek from The Defector. This was the Romulan admiral that, that came to the oh. Enterprise to defect. At first, he he wasn't, they didn't know he was an admiral or something. And then his, his full rank and the importance of his defection later was revealed. Right. But then it was revealed that they let him defect and like all the secrets he knew were false. And so he had defected and dishonored his family Right, and ruined right. his career for nothing. You remember this? Yeah. And then James Sloyan, of course, later went on to play many characters, including Dr. Mora, Odo's quote-unquote father, and several mm-hmm. other characters. You know, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else other than this handful of Star Trek roles, but every single time He's just he been killed great. it. Like, yeah. And he was, this was, to me, one of the very, the first really memorable mm-hmm. um, next-gen guest stars. 
Uh, Trisha O'Neill as Captain Rachel Garrett, the captain of the Enterprise C from yesterday's Enterprise, right, where the Enterprise C comes forward in time and the timeline is altered so that the Enterprise D is now like a warship, basically. Uh, Tasha Yar is still alive. Wesley right. and Worf aren't there. And you've got Cap- Captain Rachel Garrett and her first officer, played by Christopher McDonald. Um, That's right. Who that Tasha Yar ends up going back with. So this is the first female captain of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so a pretty, pretty prominent role. Um, Harry Grainer, known from, you know, as the mayor from Buffy and the secretary of whatever he was the secretary oh, of from him. a couple yeah. of episodes of the West yeah. Wing. As, as uh, Tam Elbram from Tin Man. He was a Betazoid who who had been was like troubled and he ended up uh ending the episode he was staying on board that like organic ship I remember because that. he had developed like a bond with it yeah yeah um Saul Rubinek is Kivas Fajo from the most toys so Saul Rubinek you've seen him in a thousand sitcoms probably but the episode where this um sort of runt of a guy kidnaps data and wants him to be part of his collection you know he wants him oh, to sit yes. in the chair wear a certain outfit yeah remember Saul Rubinek yes. you can probably picture him he's been in a thousand different things yeah um wasn't he recently in he was in something we watched. Was he in like uh, For All Mankind or something? Saul Rubinek just popped up in something we watched recently. Like, oh, there he is. He was in a, he was in a bunch of episodes of Frasier too as Daphne's fiance, who she later ended up leaving at the altar to go be with Niles. I don't know if you watched that far into yes, Frasier. Yes, I did. Um, Elizabeth Dennehy is Lieutenant Commander Shelby from The Best of Both Worlds. So this was the blonde um, lieutenant commander that was after Riker's job. You know, this was the one where Picard gets assimilated at the end. Riker looks like he's going to become the new captain, and there's this go-getter. Go get him, young command, lieutenant right. commander, who's an expert on the Borg, who's once who who resents Riker because he's taking up too much space. Right? It's like you're blocking this position with other more ambitious officers could be taking just because you've gotten comfortable here. Remember? Mm-hmm. And she ends up helping to fight the Borg, and then you know, obviously Riker doesn't leave his position, and yeah. we never see we never see her again. Um, but people thought, you know, that summer, like, oh man, is Patrick Stewart going to leave the show? Is Riker going to be the new captain? And then she would be an obvious choice to be the new first mm-hmm. officer. Um, Jeremy Kemp is Robert Picard, Picard's brother from uh, oh, from family. One, I don't yeah. think I need to tell you any more about that. Uh, Bob Gunton is Captain Benjamin Maxwell from The Wounded. This was O'Brien's old commanding officer who decided to go on like a one-man crusade against the Cardassians, raiding their ships because he thought there was some sort of secret Cardassian plot. And in the end, O'Brien kind of has to talk him down and he transports over to a ship and they sing uh, Minstrel Boy together oh, or whatever yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Um, Gene Simmons is Admiral Nora Sati from the Drumhead. This was the this is um, an admiral, also the daughter of a famous Starfleet officer. She comes on board. There's a young, um, ostensibly half Vulcan officer who turns out to be half Romulan, and she uses this as a pretense to conduct like these witch hunt trials aboard the Enterprise. She like goes over Picard's whole records and like, oh, I can see this incident and this incident and this is an incident. You're you know you're not faithful to Starfleet. You're a traitor. I'm gonna like it's basically like. The Joe McCarthy of Star Trek is her yeah. role, right? Mm-hmm. And the end, Picard gives this great speech, and she kind of like she it's she, lo- she it. loses it, mm-hmm. and she you know well she's not broken by it, but she kind of delivers this outburst that causes mm-hmm. all the people that were there to support her to sort of turn their backs on her. So right, right, right. She I leaves remember. in disgrace. Mm-hmm. And of course, David Ogden Stiers is Timison from Half a Life. This is the man yep. that, um, uh, this that I remember. Uh, he... walks on to Troy, falls in love with, and he's you know supposed to commit you know suicide basically at 65 or whatever but instead he she convinces him to live on to conduct his great scientific research to helpfully save his people yes you know it causes great upheaval in his society because you know this is just isn't done you're supposed to do this at 65 so that your family can be there and get the closure yeah and you don't grow old and and senile and you this know, was also actually this is the Michelle one Forbes, appearance, yeah, first appearance Michelle, of Michelle Forbes. Forbes yeah it's his daughter 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was such a good episode. That was the one I had picked in my mind. As great one-off guest star characters. As a great characters. one-off. Before you even listed that name, I knew you would eventually And you can probably guess name, who some of the like, ones yeah, from definitely. the latter few seasons are. You can imagine David Warner will feature in oh, there. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Paul Winfield from Darmok is probably going to be in there, right? Yeah, he's definitely going to be my... <laughs> um, so the, so, <laughs> a, looking, a so looking at these, mine. I mean, I think I probably have sharper memories of some of these than you do because I've probably seen each of these 10 times and you've only seen most of them once. But I think my, my three picks would have to be I mean as much as I love James Sloyan mm-hmm. um, he made more of an impression on me as, as Dr. Odo's, as, as yeah. Dr. Mora even mm-hmm. though I even though I do think he did a great job as his Admiral character I, I think I'd have to put David Ogden Stiers at number one um, maybe with that was um, such good writing too but the maybe Jeremy God. Jeremy Camp as Robert Picard at number two and then maybe Saul Rubinek as Kivas Fajo at number three but it's a tight tight race between some of these others Saul Rubinek is dope he's great I love him in everything that he's he was been a last minute replacement I think like they had they, <laughs> they cast somebody else and I think they they I forget like like they didn't show up to no cast it's that, like that it, day was it one of those they, situations they, they died remember. or something I think or they oh, got really no. sick I can't rem- I can't remember and, I mean there's there's you know over any 50 year franchise yeah. there's littered there's many many examples of like oh they were going to have this famous guest star like Robin Williams was going to play this role because he's a big Trekkie but sure. then he couldn't do it and so they right. got they had to get this Christian Slater was going to be in this episode and then he couldn't do it so they had to get this other guy that's happened many Is that many true? times well they actually For those Chris- two. Yeah, Robin Williams. Really? Was, it might have been this. This might have been the one that Robin Williams was going to play. But I, I think that Robin Williams was going to play um, the character in the one that Matt Frewer ended up playing. Um, the guy that said he was a historian from the future that had come back to observe this incident, and oh, then it turned yes. out he was actually like a con man from the pa- from the past yeah, or something yeah. like that. I think Robin Williams was going to play that role, and then Christian Slater was going to be in. I think. Um, all good things, the finale. Um, but then they ended up no. Then I've got it backwards. Then um, Christian Slater was going to be in an, was going to be in something. Uh, they couldn't make the schedules work, but instead they ended up getting him in a small role in Undiscovered Country as someone on aboard uh, working under Sulu on the Excelsior. Yeah, oh like yeah, a, I remember. Remember, that. there's a scene where he comes and wakes up Sulu in the middle of the night yep, because there's this emergency communique or something. And you're like, is that Christian Slater? Like yeah. immediately, like the profile and the voice. You're like, is that Christian Slater? That's all right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what would your three picks be? Um, David Ogden. Ogden is that his name? Ogden. Ogden? <laughs> David Ogden Stiers. Ogden. I've also heard Steers, but Stiers, unfortunately passed Stiers. away, didn't he, five or six years ago? Did he? Yeah. Oh. And of course, I watched him for years on Mash, like just when I was. He was great. He when was, I was like five. He was you know brilliant. What I mean? so, he was so three dimensional. The writing on that show was tight, but I mean. That was that was yeah I remember him. He was one of the most three dimensional characters on that show, but even that though he was even though he was episode, sort of set up as being kind of an antagonist. That episode ripped me apart ten ways from Sunday. Half it was a life. such a good episode. Yeah, half yeah. a life, so the, good. The best, the best. Um, walks on a Troy episode on yeah. Next Gen. Maybe the one later on where it was just revealed that she had another daughter that died. That was but messed up. But she's not even in that one as much because she's like catatonic for part of it. Yeah. And the few she, scenes she does have are good, but she's in this one more and she gets to play more, more different. She, like she gets to be like, she's first she's flirting with him and yes. then they're in love and then she has to, con- and then she gets deadly serious and has to convince him not to kill himself. And then later she accepts what he has to do and decides to go with him to be with be, him, you know, be supportive. Um, and she got some great stuff to play later on with Odo on Deep Space Nine too. But I'm not sure any of them quite live up to this one i think this is probably her best episode yeah probably her best maybe even the best performance of her whole career 
not having seen much she's done outside of Star Trek, although she didn't do much outside of Star Trek. Not after Star Trek, at least. Um, Yeah, probably the best performance she ever gave, I would say. But if we're not talking about, you know, again, (laughs) obviously obviously people like her would be in here if I was doing, maybe we'll do a separate one of recurring guest stars. (laughs) So yeah, so him him at number one, then who else? What would be your other top two picks? Let's see. As much as I enjoyed um, the one where data was being collected, honestly, that episode didn't really even leave a mark. Hmm. On my memory. I thought he was really good in that because he he's, was so, great in he's that. sort of chipper he and funny, but also like really cold really and creepy. really bloodthirsty when he has to be. And and like he he vaporizes his assistant lady, right hand lady he, at the end. Yeah, he he's a threat. Yeah. Um, and it's it's dangerous. Like it, the sort stakes of, are in, very just real. Just sort of entitled, mm-hmm. um, Brat. Ruth, ruthlessness. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, exactly. Just so yeah. So he's not, so, so he's not on your list. No, he's not on my list. It was a very good performance, but no. I mean, if I have to pick a top three, he's uh, he's going to be like number four. <laughs> um, who else did you mention? Because there were... Oh, God, help me. Can I just look at the list? Sure. Okay. So you got him. You got uh, Captain Garrett, um, Harry Grainer. You got uh, Shelby, Robert Picard, Captain Maxwell, Admiral Satie, and uh, David Ogden-Starr is your um, Patrick Stewart's brother in... in I mean, Jean-Luc yeah, Picard's Cameron. brother... Yep. I keep looking at this and I keep wanting to say Robert Picard because my brain keeps saying Robert Picardo. But Robert (laughs) Picard and Robert Picardo are two two different people. One real, one fictional. Yes. Um, I thought that that was a really just deep... It was just such a human performance. It was Mm -hmm. really, really great. A little, a little, a little... No, I don't want to say over the top. A little theatrical, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like in terms, of, like I bet he's, I bet he's like a royal Shakespeare or something or other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it felt very affected in like a Shakespearean theater, Brit- classically Britishly trained. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like definitely. E- almost like an Ian McKellen <laughs> kind yeah. of kind of kind of way about it. I know, in the way that was, you don't really see those do that on TV seen, very often. I know, but here's the thing. Do you know what really it's not stuck a criticism. with me? It's just a very, very uni- uniquely do styled you know why performance. I picked, exactly. But do you know why I picked him, though? Because uh, there was such a deep reality to him. Mm-hmm. Um, when he is being curmudgeon in the beginning of their interactions and he is um, eating the soup and his... <sighs> No, seriously, he's just eating the soup and he's complaining about how replicators and technology like that are just, you know, all sorts of bad and blah, 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 blah. Like establishing where his arc is starting. That scene where he's just simply just devouring the soup, he's angry. You can see the emotions on it, but there's just this truth to it that I really, that, that leaves an impression on your head. And I, I can you see really right now. You really believed he was eating that no, soup. No, I know you're laughing at me, but there's just. No, I know what you're saying. But I mean, you talk about curmudgeonly. You just look at the yeah. guy's face and then the word curmudgeonly but feels like fine. it should appear in his biography. Right, but here's the thing though. that That's how well he played it. Like he, he, I bet you the person himself was not at all curmudgeonly. I don't I know. just know but that. It, I do see it being the kind of role that he, he would, would be, be cast, cast for. You know, you, you, because you want he's a good him to play actor. like older authority figures, like yeah. the grumpy police sergeant, or probably like a judge. You could see him playing like judges in British dramas or something like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sort of a curmudgeonly authority figure type character, as, as I can. Or like a, a stern uncle, yeah. you know, in a family drama, that kind of role, which is basically what he is here, you know. Yeah. And then, so that was that your second? What's your third then? Um, I really liked Elizabeth Dennehy, but. Uh, can you just refresh my memory about some of the other ones? Who's the Tin Man again? Well, he's not the Tin Man. The Tin Man was the name of the sentient uh, organic ship thing. He was the Betazoid oh, character yes. who That's was who I like have a, to pick. a little off. A little off. That's I pick him. He's great. He's fantastic. Um, yeah, and I remember that episode too because there was something sad about his Betazoidness. There was something... 
Like everybody could read the emotions, but he somehow couldn't. And so he felt cut off from his world. Was that I the story? I don't remember the specifics of the character. Didn't they find him? Didn't they find him? No, I think we might be conflating it with another character. I was thinking like, didn't they find him like the sole survivor on a ship? And he and everybody else had been killed. And so he was like psychically traumatized by all the emotion he'd had to endure. Yeah. Something like that. I might be confusing him with another character in another episode, but there was something like that. He was, he was, you know, dealing with some stuff. And then he like eventually connected through this to this Tin Man, this like spacefaring organism. And they went off together to experience like blissful silence, you know, because he could go off in this thing and have some companionship and not be surrounded by millions of other minds. That's what I was thinking is that it wasn't, it was the reverse of what I was thinking. He wasn't cut off from it. He was overexposed to it. It's like an exposed yeah, nerve he liked that the can piece feel everything. On the, on the and ship. so he was trying to isolate himself to not talk to people and stuff. And he, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But I don't remember the details of the story, although the story was really mm, simple. But his performance in that was really, really deep. And, and I can still see him, like, just being in the ship. And I, this, this is a really good roster of characters. Can I ask you just one question? Because you just reminded me of another episode. Um, there was an episode where I think it was, like, one of, or if not the only deaf actor that they actually hired. Oh. Or is that in later seasons? I'm thinking. You're, you're remembering no, this. No, that was he... probably season three. Um I'm trying to remember the name of the episode and I'm trying to remember the name who, of the character. Right, because the character themselves was like a, a monarch of some kind. Sure, and he, was he had, he had like this people really, that were... He had like this really 80 bushies, bushy beard, kind of like a mm-hmm. reddish, reddish brown hair, and bushy Chuck beard. And Chuck Norris hairstyle. Yeah, he kind of looked like, a, a, kinda looked like Chunk, Chuck, Chunk Norris. <laughs> That's what you call Chuck Norris after he's put on too much weight. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> no, he kind of looked like a more monastic Chunk Norris. Yeah. <laughs> I did it again. Chuck, <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Norris. Norris. Monastic um, Chunk Norris. Right. <laughs> And he had and he had a white outfit with yes. a blue robe, and he had these two people, a man and a woman, who would uh, or were there three of them? I thought there were three, maybe who would, even four, would, but they no, were all like they were conduits they, for right, the, his different aspects side. of his emotions. Yeah. and they all got killed. He was there to mediate between these two boring races. They That's all right. got killed, and he couldn't communicate anymore. Troy could kind of like suss out you know, what he was, his yeah. basic emotions, but he couldn't communicate. And then ultimately, yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the character. Um, and I definitely don't remember the name of the episode, but yeah, th- that was, that was around that same time. He was good too. And I think he was a deaf actor. I don't want to say he was the first deaf actor to appear on Star Trek. I don't know that for sure, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he was, but yeah. Yeah. No, I he thought was that good was a too. good one too. Yeah. You know what? I came upon him when I was doing this and I'm like, that was a, me- you, you remember that about the episode, but I wouldn't put the performance like i don't i don't know like to me i wouldn't put that performance up with up with any of these wouldn't you or at least these were in, but like to me even though great. even though uh, captain garrett is not like the most memorable character like she was the captain of uh, of an enterprise and so i feel like it kind of looms large in the canon whereas this guy kind of did but i don't know it's it's not it's not a perfect list but yeah no that, that was a good episode he he was good i just it didn't it doesn't stand out in my memory as much that was kind of like, I don't know, that was still when the show was a little bland at times. Like, oh, here's another guy in a robe and there's like, there's mediations going on. <laughs> That's like, fair, yeah. There's like 20 of those episodes. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it's good. So, what was your, your sorry, so Harry Grainer was your third one, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's always good. All right, so show. So, we've got the second episode of Star Trek Picard. We've got Doctor Who. We've got Batwoman, Supergirl. We have the final episode of Arrow. I guess we'll save that for last. We've got Black Lightning and we've got Harley Quinn. Yep. So this was another good episode of Star Trek Picard. So it's only the second episode. Oh man. Um, a lot of good scenes <laughs> here. So I can't I can't quite remember the names of his two Romulan associates. So so oh, so follow up from last week. Yes. We had this big discussion about exactly you know whether Who we, they are, whether we learn more about right. them and what their former positions were. I was completely blanking because I hadn't read, and I even said at the end like, 
Wait, I, I wonder if they're going to be in the comic. comic? Yeah. Well, I had read two issues of the comic, but these two characters didn't really make too big of an impact on me, and I hadn't reread them since watching the first episode. If I had, I would have made the connection because right. obviously they have the same names. So these are two Tal Shiar agents um, that were sent to like monitor this one Romulan colony. Um, they basically end up defecting to protect the native inhabitants of the planet and team up with Picard. Although the one of them, the man, and they are romantically involved. It's mm-hmm. unclear whether they've like gotten married in the intervening 15 years or not. Um, and one of them, the man, almost def- defects back to the Tal Shiar. Like it turns out that he was planning on betraying Picard all along. Okay. And he almost does, and then she convinces him not to. Um, and then at the end, because now they're persona non grata in the Romulan Empire, mm-hmm. they'd probably be killed if they went anywhere near Romulan space again. Picard offers to let them stay on his on his property. Cool. Um, so that's that's their origin. So they're former Tal Shiar agents, and that that ends up playing a big role here because the woman gives this big info dump basically about um, how there's the Tal Shiar, and then there's like the super Tal Shiar, like the the right Vashdar or something like that. It's like uh, Section Thirty One for Romulans. Well, but it's more than that because she says like, what if the Tal Shiar itself were a mask, which almost makes it sound like the Tal Shiar and this other thing are not not like two different organizations but like one is merely a facade for the other or something yeah. i mean obviously there's still more we need to learn obviously the tal shiar is a real thing but what if what if they were only like what if you're deep down in like the tal shiar org chart and it would only go so deep because then below that you'd have like the real you know creamy center of romulan secret intelligence right? <laughs> yeah. and she's like you know secret intelligence is almost a you know a superfluous description when you're talking about romulans everything they do is secret right, right? so you'd be more accurate to just call them like the romulan police and so then mm-hmm. if they're the romulan police if there was a romulan secret police they'd be really double secret which mm-hmm. is what this other thing is right and their motivation which which seems strange at first because it's never come up in the canon before but it's not directly contradicted by anything in the canon. Exactly. But it's there's that they really hate synthetics and artificial intelligence. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, if you notice, Romulan computers are like they're very simple. Like they're they're computationally advanced, but the means with which you interact with them, there's never like the equivalent of the Major Barrett voice. There's in the no Enterprise. AI. There's no AI. There's no voice recognition. It's like you punch in numbers, you get out numbers. Like they keep it purposely very very simple. And you've never seen any sort of artificial intelligence or synthetic life forms Tried to or do whatever some thinking or in the Romulan or, Empire. Yeah. Now, that's that's true, but you've also never seen any sort of artificial intelligence or synthetic life forms in the Klingon Empire or the Ferengi Alliance or you know what I mean? Like, so you could you could this could be some big reveal about pretty much any alien race in Star Trek, and it would fit just as well. It's just here they happen to apply it to the Romulans. You know what I mean? Um, I yeah, kind of. Just, I mean, I know what you're like, saying, but I think it just feels like kind that... of random in the sense that it could equally apply to any other alien race we've seen. See, you know? that's where I think I disagree with you because we've seen just even in Next Gen that they've run through simulators and they've run through like rudimentary. Uh, Advice, like look at Control, for example. That was an AI borderline. Like it, it sort right, of that achieved was a Federation sentience. AI, right? But that's my point: is that we've seen this in um, um, in in example. So what they're basically saying is they keep computers to a level of really really basic function where they don't even ask for ask a machine. They don't even equip a machine 
to be able to do simulation or any sort of prognostication of any kind whatsoever. They really just keep it dumbed down simple. Like this is your sole function. You are a telephone. You are a calculator. You're, you you're are saying a map. That it fits, you are nothing. It fits the Romulan MO of secrecy and paranoia. Yeah, that they would have no artificial intelligence better better than you could kind of see the Ferengi, even though we haven't seen any examples of it. You could kind of see the Ferengi maybe having like some like yeah, I mean like a <laughs> some, number cruncher, some sexy robots that come in and give you umox or something, right? <sighs> you could kind of buy that. Well, you could do that, yeah, exactly. But I was also thinking of like, especially in the Ferengi Empire, or an AI I'm, that helps you AI, run your finances, right? Exactly, yeah. something that helps you predict business like trends for, on Ferengi a stock Quicken, exchange basically. or something. No, even beyond that, Ferengi uh, E-Trade. Ferengi E-Trade. Like F-Trade. Like <laughs> there you go, F-Trade. Um, where they do like those types of predictions for you. or um, Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It does kind of fit the Romulan, what we know about the Romulan culture better than it would, say, the Klingons or the Ferengi. It just felt a little easy to me in that, oh, isn't it convenient that we've never seen Romulan AI? We've never seen AI in pretty much any other society other than the Federation. So it kind of felt like it felt a little arbitrary to me. But I do agree that it, if you had to pick one, it would fit better here. Mm-hmm. Um, they do like this um, CSI Starfleet thing where mm-hmm. she goes in and she uses her you know, intelligence background to go into Dodge's apartment and like reconstruct what happened yeah that was and cool. then figure out exactly like they figure out how they can get potentially how they can get a hold of her sister Picard goes to Starfleet command to try to I, this was this was cool actually because he walks in and he is he's not hmm, he's deferential but he's not I would I don't feel like you would say he's being contrite or humble necessarily he's being polite and he's being deferential to the admiral because he knows that you know he doesn't work there anymore he no longer has sure. any rank but he's like oh admiral you know if if it's not too much trouble I would like I would like a ship I would like a crew I can do with a small crew if you don't want to reinstate me as a full admiral you know it's okay I'll take the rank of captain and she's like who the hell do you think you are yeah. right like yeah. he's being I think that the episode, and, you know, Patrick Stewart has said this too, that, you know, this episode, this series is about, like, he's been broken down quite a bit already, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this episode delivers, you know, a couple Another more blow, blows. Yeah. A blow to his ego here, and then a blow to his medical well-being later on, yeah. right, which we'll talk about. But I feel like he does walk in a little, like, he's he's a little, you know, full of his britches, right? Is that is that a thing? I might be complaining yeah. <laughs> too it. But he walks in, he's like, I'm Jean-Luc Picard. Yep. It's kind of like it's like what Dr. Crusher said in All Good Things. He's Jean-Luc Picard, and if he wants to go on one last mission, that's what we're going to do, right? Yeah. So it's like he kind of feels like that's the attitude he walks in there with. He's sure. like, oh, this young whippersnapper at the desk doesn't recognize me. I'm going to give – there's no reason why he would, right? This guy right. was probably five years old when he – right? But that's the attitude he walks in with. Like, I'm Jean-Luc Picard, and I should command respect, right? But he's 15 years past relevance, right? right. So this admiral, who he seemingly has some bad blood with from when he was still yeah. in Starfleet, not that there were really any admirals – that he had great working relations. Like Starfleet <laughs> admirals are usually a prickly bunch, right? Yes. Um, remember that that one episode where there was like a 10-minute preamble to uh, Admiral Necheyev coming aboard? Yeah. Where he's like, look, this woman really hates me. I got to make some good-ass tea so that she... Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, and some rare kind of pastry that she'll appreciate even right. if she doesn't take a bite. Um, and that's exactly what But this woman's like, who do yeah, you think you are? But moreover... <laughs> Like, she raises some good points. Like, it's obvious, like, we, the audience, are going to be on Picard's side. So we're like, and plus, we love Data. Right. So we're going to, like, synthetics, you know, yay. yay. Save mm-hmm. the Romulans, yay. But she's like, look, we had 14 different member worlds that were mm-hmm. threatening to secede from the Federation if we expended the resources necessarily to help the Romulans. And so we made the decision that would, at the cost of potentially some Romulan lives, keep the Federation intact. Yeah. How many How many people would have died, would have... 
under through economic hardship or opening themselves up to to war if they no longer run to the pet protection of the federation how many people would have died on those four of those 14 other societies mm-hmm. if they'd if they'd left the federation in a huff potentially right. more than when one society the romulans right were only able to be partially evacuated in theory right obviously a lot of numbers and you know details sure. we don't know but it's a, it's not as black and white right so we're used to like oh starfleet admirals like there's never Bro. been you know starfleet yeah. admirals are, are normally like we're conditioned like oh the admiral comes aboard he tries to tell our beloved captain and crew how to do things right sure. like you're gonna go here you're gonna do this you know like they're they're all about the bureaucracy and they're like oh our captain's like oh, i'm gonna defy orders and go here anyway right so right. we're used to being we're conditioned to like oh man the brass this is going to be you know they're yep. going to be obstructionist right but here she actually makes some good points and i was heartened later when we learned that there is and it's like another conspiracy within starfleet command like there's another admiral or in this case a commodore who's duplicitous or treacherous mm-hmm. and it's like i feel like we've seen this a lot of times but all right, whatever. Like, they want to show that Starfleet has started to sort of lose its way a little bit, and so it's an easy thing to have there be, like, a conspiracy. But I'm glad it wasn't, like, the CNC of, the, of Starfleet, which right. is who this woman was. I'm glad just, like, oh, she's not evil, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, there's this other person, the Commodore, Commodore O, I guess. I'm not sure how that's spelled. Is it just an O or is it OH? I mean, I don't know. But she's Vulcan, right? ostensibly, or maybe Romulan, but I think we're supposed to think that she's We're supposed Vulcan. to think she's Vulcan. But it turns even out when that her Romulan co-conspirator came in, she didn't suddenly start acting really emotional. So I do believe, and then listening to the interviews, I think she is supposed to be Vulcan, but she's a Vulcan in league with Romulans. But no, perhaps not coincidentally. No, no, no. I think that it. No, because they had Alex Kurtzman on one of the podcasts, oddly enough, that you were listening to and I was only overhearing. And in that particular moment, they said, no, 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 she's unabashedly well, like... Well, no, a- what they said was it's a Romulan conspiracy within Starfleet. That doesn't no, necessarily mean that... No, well, no, you're not... One of us no. is misremembering, but it doesn't really matter. So so she presents as Vulcan, but that's a, even if so, that's another thing we've seen a bunch of times. Exactly. It's like a Romulan pretending to be a but Vulcan. But that's exactly so right. That, that's and so she's, she may not be breaking character, but then again, neither is the human, uh, human-looking human Well, humans woman, don't really act woman. that different than Romulans. No, they don't. Exactly. She, and she and comes, technically not like... This, this other person comes in and it's Peyton List from, uh, yeah. from Gotham and Flash. Yeah. Um, and she's uh, Lieutenant, what was it, Rizzo. And I'm like, Rizzo? All right. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and she's Romulan, but she's like had her ears sawed off, basically. So she yeah. looks human. Yeah. And there's this conspiracy of like secret Romulans in league with I'm just some really Starfleet surprised officers. that given the fact that they know this kind of technology and given the fact that um Deep Space Nine, yeah, which is contemporaneous they, they, they should have been, yeah. yeah well, that, like was a good, genetic- that was a good twenty years ago. I mean and, and and even then we were supposed to I think we the audience were supposed to think much like Cisco's father that the that like mandatory blood screenings were a step too far. Yeah. It's kind of hard for us to believe from like a modern perspective where we were practically anal probed every time we go to the airport. I know. That a simple blood screening would be seen as going over the line. But yeah. but once upon a time that, that was seen as like an un, unallowable invasion of privacy. Right. In those yeah. halcyon days illegal, of the nineteen nineties. <laughs> illegal search and, um, search and seizure, yeah. So I do and, and like so I do find it easy to believe that Starfleet wouldn't, as a matter of course, do like genetic testing on their but even so, like, I don't know, I, I was thinking she was Vulcan, but it doesn't really matter. So this is a conspiracy. And the um, the sister of Dodge, um, whose name I can't remember, starts with an S. Soji. Soji, that's it. Yeah. She's on, so we learn more about what's going on in this Borg cube. So it's called the Artifact. Yep. It's a partially destroyed Borg cube that's in Romulan space. And so the Romulan remnant state, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them, has occupied it. Mm-hmm. And they're selling <laughs> for profit. 
the chance to for scientists from other societies, including the Federation, to come aboard and conduct like anthropological studies there, basically. Right. They're also selling the parts that they harvest off right. of so the Right. So it's a for-profit endeavor. Um, so that they can come in, um, come in and conduct research, and there's this gray zone, which mm-hmm. is like the area that's been taken over by the Romulans, and there they can examine Borg corpses and, and potentially even like active drones that are like docile in some way. Yeah. But you get, this, get the sense that like it's been X number of days since assimilation. Like beyond the gray zone, is there a black zone where there's still active drones walking around that could inject you with nanoprobes? Like right. are there still – how active – you know what I mean? Yeah, is, yeah. Is, they what, don't even know. It, what is the risk? Is the risk that one of these dormant drones could wake up? Or is the risk that there's still hundreds of active drones walking around on the bottom of the ship and we just don't go down there, you know? <laughs> like, I want to know how, what's the, you know, what's the level of danger we're working with here? Because that would be crazy if that were the case. But it was certainly the one guy that was standing up on his little parapet giving the same doomsday speech at the beginning of every workday. Yeah. You know? Um, certainly made it sound like it was bad news down there. So she's there and she's kind of like a psychologist. Um, is what we're given to understand. I've lived from like interviews yes. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's not like a, a doctor, medical doctor, or whatever. She's there to like a, sort of maybe like some combination between like a like a therapist and a cultural anthropologist. She's there to like understand the people that are trying to be like being brought back from, from Borg, like right. understand them and help them acclimate basically mm-hmm. to their old lives. Um, and the Romulan that she's gotten romantically involved with, is it mm-hmm. Narek? Um, or Nemec, I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's Nemec. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we learned that he's actually the secretly the brother of uh, Rizzo. Rizzo, and we know he's a Romulan, but he's there too. So it it, it does he's all. In the, he's it in does the all black kind, ops. Right, it does all kind of line up. Although apparently he's a bit of a wild card, right? Which which I feel like is there to set up the fact that maybe he's going to defect and help the good guys yeah, later if he's yeah. like unpredictable and if yeah. he actually is in love with Soji, right? Yeah. Um, but it all does kind of line up because if the Romulans hate. Uh, synthetics mm-hmm. and they suspect that she is one and they think that she might lead them back to their nest as they call it right yeah. they have no way of knowing how many where they are how many of them are there right. they want to wipe this out right or yeah. before it becomes a plague on the quadrant right right so it makes sense that they'd be after her um yeah and then so picard so so jumping around so picard doesn't get his ship he gets a stern talking to yeah um he decides to go anyway so um he calls up a favor from the one person who might potentially help him but nobody would like expect would want to help him and also no one who would feel obligated to help him against a better interest like the the Rom- his the Romulan, who has nothing to lose right his Romulan friend there is like well why don't you call up Riker and Worf from the forge he's like because they, they would, would feel go. obligated to help me because of our history right and it would be too dangerous for them and I don't want the death of another beloved mm-hmm. crew member on my hands so I'm gonna go to this person who doesn't really like me and I you know and I don't really like her that much so if she dies I guess it's okay um and this is um I'm blanking on her name now, but it's she was in the Rafi, that Rafi Musiker, um, former. I don't know what her rank was when she retired, but she was, I think, a, a, a lieutenant uh, under Picard, uh, an, a Romulan expert and also like a security officer, I think, um, that was working under him directly during the during the evacuation. So how do you know all this? Because I didn't from the know comic, about from this. the tie-in oh, okay. comic. Okay, okay. Um, so they were on really good terms. Um, during the evacuation before everything went badly. Understandably so. There's apparently no love lost between her and him now. So I do wonder what might have happened. Um, did she she perhaps resent him for um, well, as, the, way he has, the way he sort of flamed out in his career and sort of left her in the lurch? It's like there was still a job to do and instead of trying to thread the needle, you went out in a... You know what I mean? In a blaze You of flamed out and left me here to... 
yeah, to but watch all these people die. No, but die. here's the thing, though. And again, this is from your podcast that uh, <laughs> I overheard. But apparently Alex Kurtzman said that um, it, it's left for us to understand that although Picard was in charge of making his own choices, he put his foot down in this way, he tendered his resignation in this way, and it was his choice to leave Starfleet. Because of the furor that he left behind, she was fired at the end of it and she left a career that she didn't want to leave and she didn't have any agency in that choice and so she resents him for that because he didn't consider the consequences of his actions beyond himself and she paid a pretty big price for that and so she hates his guts now um or at least has a bit of a grudge and we'll see how much they loathe each other i don't really think that's a that's all that much but um we'll see i just really like that scene between them two and and what was it? Castle Rock? Or what was the name of the actual location? Where oh, trailer it's Vasquez is? Rocks. Vasquez and here Rock. it's actually supposed to be Vasquez, Vasquez Rocks, Rocks. Instead of it's just so good. Yeah, some, yeah. you know, Romulan Canyon Planet, or something. Yeah. It's actually supposed to be Vasquez Rocks in California. Hilarious. Um, and so... Which, and he takes a future taxi out there too, which is something like good taxis <laughs> so exist in the great. future, I sure, guess Sure, why so. not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like, don't, wouldn't they just like transport everywhere? But I guess Teleport? you have to have something on the other end. Well, that's yeah, how he got to start exactly. for the command, right? He walked through like a little transport gateway there or something, right? Yeah, um transport gateway that's one thing but um it's not like you need there to be something on the other end they transport exactly. down to planets all the time that's what i was about canyon. to tell you so yeah. so i don't know so why you, you could need... transport there because you, how do you get home you still have to have a service to get you I home you I call up your computer at and home and tell is... them to beam you back I but guess. see that's the thing though i mean from his little vineyard to the thing there probably is no like well for lack of a better word transport service it's not like you have a home transporter as part of your well, it's always been kind of unclear about it. Like they can they can transport from the ship down to a planet, right? But only sometimes because that's ship trans- and you can do site to, but you can also do site to site transport. But apparently, it's right, hard but- and like it's only useful in emergencies. But if it's technically possible, I don't know why they wouldn't do it all the because time. Because it's always would, been a little unclear. Because who would conduct that transport? That's what I want to know. It's like every time you're those situations that you're talking about, that's because of a ship. You are serving on a vessel that has this yeah, technology on it. But and if so, you're in a post post scarcity they're society, they're civilian now. There's yeah, no, they're know. civilians now. Like, how does a civilian have access to teleport technology? I just always That's figured not... that I just always figured that like it's everybody would have a transporter pad in their in their home. If you're post scarcity society and you can just replicate up a transporter pad, why wouldn't everybody have one? They could just beam wherever they wanted. It's just, you know this is the kind of thing that we're here. Well, here we're learning for the first time that it doesn't work that way. But literally over fifty years of Star Trek, we were never really given to believe that it wasn't that way because we see so little of the way that Earth society works in the future. We see like, oh, here's Cisco's father's restaurant, and he doesn't seem like he has a transporter, but he's like a little bit of a weird curmudgeon anyway. So maybe he wouldn't have one because he's like, oh, people like the hands-on touch of home cooking, and that's the thing the Cisco's believe that like nobody else does. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't I guess, know. Yes, but. Um, but I even 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 then I remember. I mean, for me, it's like you gotta gotta got you you sort of need like a a flight controller, as it were, because you got all these molecules flying there and that. I just back. figured there was the you equivalent. You don't want them to get all muddled. I just in figured the there was like signal. some some like some branch of the of the future infrastructure, like the you know the transport association or whatever that operated on this like this. They've got this big computer complex in you know Antarctica or whatever, mm-hmm. and they just handled transport Those requests. requests. They would beam yeah. people from one part of the planet to the other all they want. You know, like the FAA or like the the flight controllers of the future, the transport controllers. They would just beam people all around, and it would you know all, all happen for free and, and instantaneously. Yeah, that's you know. I, I mean, we were never given to believe that didn't. If they had introduced that here, I would not have been surprised because like we learned so little about how anything works on Earth in the future because we see it so rarely. You know. Usually when we do see Earth in the future, we're just seeing Starfleet headquarters or the academy or like a restaurant. Mm -hmm. We never really learn much about how the future average citizens 
you know, how do they live? Do they have, does everybody have replicators in their homes? Does everybody take transporters? Do there cars? Are there, mm-hmm. do there shuttles? Are there, like, are, are there still like, do countries even still exist anymore? Like there's just basic things we don't really know about how the future works mm-hmm. there because there's been so few stories set there. Totally, so it's yeah. kind of interesting that we're learning some of this now. Um, yeah, but obviously this continues to be really good. It is obviously slower paced. One thing that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to talk about was that they, that on the podcast, they talk about how, um, Star Trek Discovery is sci-fi action, and this show is sci-fi drama. Huh. And I think that's interesting because a lot of the criticism of Discovery has been that it's too much like the Abrams movie. It's too like too flashy, too fast-paced, too too go go go. There's not a lot of character introspection or or slower paced. You know what I mean? That's that's been the criticism. The people want more like the pacing of and and we talked about this at times. Don't squirrel. You don't have to squirrel up your face like that. We talked about this at the time <laughs> I in just Discovery. Disagree with that section of the internet. Well, that's I like all. <laughs> well, I like Dis- I like Discovery too, but I don't want it all to be like that, right? Like I, I we talked about in Discovery about there how were some episodes how okay. I wanted more episodes that were like slower paced, like episodic things where you had like here is a, they go to a new planet or here's a, a new thing they have to deal with, and it's not all just one long one long serialized story where there's like massive revelations every episode and huge space battles, and it doesn't all have to be like that. Like you can have something that's got the pacing more of classic star trek and people were worried when they said they were going to do like six new shows are they all going to be as fast-paced and flashy as star trek discovery are they all going to have that same tone so i'm I'm gratified to see that they've got now this which is slower paced and more character based and more sort of contemplative yeah so you can have you can have the fast-paced action adventure of discovery you can have the slower paced character drama of picard and the animated comedy of Lower Decks and the, like, I guess, intrigue and, mm-hmm. and espionage of Section 31 or mm-hmm. whatever that ends up mm-hmm. being. And they can all sort of live happily together. The problem was that if you had people that didn't like the Abrams movie and missed the pacing and tone of classic Star Trek and all they were getting because it was all that was being offered was mm-hmm. Discovery, mm-hmm. there was nothing there for you. If that's not the kind of Star Trek you liked, and there, you know, there's some people that like all Star Trek and there's some people that like you know, certain flavors of Star Trek. If you don't like the flashier stuff, if you like the slower paced, you know, boardroom meetings, you weren't getting that from Discovery. And so it was a turnoff. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now that they're finally putting out more different things, there's a little something for everyone. You know, if you want lighter fare or more serious fare, you know, or if you want flashy stuff, there can be something. But when there's only one thing, it has to carry the weight of of all the accumulated decades of expectations, you know? Yeah. And Discovery, you know, it had its problems. It had like behind the scenes shakeups and, you know, issues like that. And so it kind of felt like there were, you know, it wasn't really, it wasn't really standing up to that, that scrutiny, you know? But now that, now that you've got Picard here and that's more like, the series where the classic fans can kind of gravitate to because it's classic characters mm-hmm. and classic settings, mm-hmm. Discovery can go off to the future and be its own, you know, 32nd century action adventure show. And it can be completely its own thing and its new identity now where it doesn't have to be a prequel anymore. Right. And I feel like hopefully it'll feel like more comfortable in its own skin. The fans will be more accepting of it because it can be its own thing. It doesn't have to be the only Star Trek, you know? Right. People probably would have been would have liked Enterprise more if you were getting Enterprise and an eighth season of Deep Space Nine or something. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because Enterprise was the only Star Trek. If you didn't like Archer mm-hmm. or you didn't like that it was a prequel or whatever, then there was nothing for you in Star Trek being right. you know, on TV anymore. Yeah. And so you were out of luck. So I'm glad now that there's more diversity in the output that the Discovery doesn't have to shoulder that entire burden, you know? Yeah. 
Um, so Doctor Who, this was a really good episode. I didn't really know, I didn't really have like much expectation of this one going in. Like Spyfall 1 and 2, obviously people were excited about. Yeah. Um, the one we talked about last week with the new Doctor, that was being mm-hmm. hyped up ahead of time. Like people, all the, all, you know, the everybody was saying on Twitter, this is going to be a big episode. Don't miss this. Don't be spoiled. And so you can kind of tell big things were going to happen. Sure. Right? This one, like, oh, it's just going to be like a standard episode. But this is really good. Um, yeah. This was maybe my favorite um, non-historical, non, like, big mythology episode, just in terms of like a standard sci-fi action plot that doesn't really tie into the big mythology plot. Yeah. Um, this might be my favorite one yet from this era. You know, not just this season, but this season and last season. Although we I talked about we didn't like It Takes like You the, Away and a couple of other ones last season. But. I like the the way they chose to uh, frame it in the beginning, especially. Yeah, where the structure they had the, was the structure was yeah, very fun. Good way of setting up the mystery, mm-hmm. introducing some new characters. This, like we've talked about in this whole era, that we think that one of the things the show is best at is is deft characterization of guest characters. Yes. And I think this is a really great example of this. Like by the end of this... I mean, the, the couple of guys working at that research station, one of whom, the woman, turns out to be evil. She um, wasn't evil. She was just, you know... Kind of evil. Um, not super de- evil. Well, destructive. I, potentially globally genocidal in her in her um, selfishness to but cure accidentally. her own Yeah, accidentally genocidal. Um, the, man <laughs> she, the man she was working with didn't get a lot of characterization, but the other, no. the other well, important he, characters, yeah. like the, the woman who was doing like the travel vlog... And then the um, the ex cop and his um, husband or ex husband I'm unclear whether they were ever actually divorced. Doing a separation. Um, the, ast- I think, the astronaut. They were all really well characterized, well yeah. acted. You know what I mean? Like yeah. great guest characters. Um, the regulars got some got some uh, some good moments. The doctor got some good moments. It was a really interesting plot that kept you guessing until the end. Had some good set pieces. Beautiful locations. A nice um, moral story without shoving it down your throat. Yeah, right up to that line. I'm like, they're not going to do an Orphan 55 again, are they? But it's like, it's fine for it to have a message. I mean, like we said, we were talking about Orphan 55. I love Star Trek and Star Trek can be really preachy at times too. But you have to have a bit of a remove. You have to do it through metaphor or, or, you know. Show, not tell. Or, or, um, you know, something parable. You can't just be like, turn to the audience and say, don't pollute. You know what I mean? This right up to that line, but... You know, yeah. but it didn't tip. I maybe you know, and I probably wouldn't have even flinched at all if it weren't for the fact that I was still traumatized by that other episode and how over the top it was. I know. I probably wouldn't have even thought Balked twice about, like, about, about you this were one. bracing yourself for an impact that didn't come. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And apparently, I didn't even know this, but apparently, Crypt Ch- Chris Chibnall, Crypt Chibnall. That's what. <laughs> that's what. That's what he's. Tales from the Crypt yeah. Chibnall. Yeah. Um, has a bit. Of, I don't know what he's worked on before, other than Doctor Who and Torchwood and and um, Broadchurch. Oh, but just a, those. But apparently he's got a bit of a <laughs> reputation for having like, for doing like really socially and environmentally progressive stories. Cool. For like really hitting you on the head with his, you know, liberal messages. Right. Which, you know, again, <laughs> all, all four liberal messages, but you know, this right way and the wrong way to do it. But yeah. apparently some people are like, oh, here comes Chris Chibnall. Like apparently he's got a bit of a rep for this, which I didn't know uh, up until okay. I was hearing people react to the Orphan 55 episode. So apparently this yeah. is something that people were waiting for. But and, and apparently, you know, now like, oh, here it comes. I'm surprised it took him this long to start hitting us over the head with the environmentalist messages, but whatever. Um, so Batwoman and Supergirl, these are two good episodes. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like the crisis really gave, uh, it's kind of given the shows a bit of a... I feel like a lot of the CW shows, they kind of like they can kind of have a saggy middle in the season where at the beginning you're like, oh, who's the new threat? It's a mystery who they're going to be and there's yeah. like a lot of buildup. And then there's the middle of the season where they fight the, the threat like a bunch of times yeah. and never, nothing is resolved. And then it's the, fi- the finale where they fight them and the good guys win. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. But I feel like the crisis ha- happening in the middle of these seasons is kind of given the shows a bit of a shot in the arm. Like having a second bath 
in that woman yeah and all the things that could mean yeah it's like really an unexpected new twist on that show yeah um having all the changes in supergirl with luther running the deo and people forgetting about um leviathan yep. and the the changes that's happening to brainy yeah. Um, and now win coming back only for a couple of episodes when that would have could have happened without the crisis too but like all the changes happening there are making the show really interesting too because the Leviathan thing was kind of thing was kind of petering out for me where i'm like okay it's just another evil secret organization that wants to like purify the world or whatever right yeah um not uh-huh. as interesting as in the comics like we've talked about um but yeah these were good like all the best because and you're like are they this, there's no way they can go they can have these two baths around forever, right? Like right. this new one is going to have to be killed eventually, I would imagine. I know, and I thought to that this was going to be in the episode too. Yeah, I'm so like, are I they going to kill off already? Yeah. But no, it would have been a waste to only do one episode. Two, technically. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think that she's going to die like in five or six episodes. Like she'll die like a few episodes before the end of the season oh. to really propel Kate oh. into action against the evil. Alice. The evil bath, and but I don't know. Like, are they gonna? I don't know. I mean, they they could they could go way off course, and like, because I mean, Alice was redeemed. Yep. In the comics, she became Red Alice, who was kind of like an antihero. So they could could this new bath become like Kate's sidekick, kind of like, and then the other bath, maybe maybe the evil bath is like a one season villain who dies, and then this other bath becomes like. Or maybe they, because there is a thing at this episode, at the end of this episode, where they're both having migraines, right? And you're like, oh, is this something because of the fact that she's like a remnant of another Earth? Are they like, are they syncing up in some way? Right. So what if their personalities start to bleed through and Mm -hmm. it makes Alice more redeemable, but Beth a little crazier? And now now it's like, which one are they going to, because they're not going to have both on the show forever. So maybe like they're going to throw us a twist and like the, like Alice will die redeeming herself, but then Beth will be driven half mad and the question is whether whether she's going to you know like I don't Go know like full Alice they, yeah. yeah like they, they could do some interesting things or, or they could just kill off this other bath to motivate Kate even further I don't know but it's interesting it is, it is an interesting you know conceit to inject into the show at the kind of the halfway point of the season to mm-hmm. really spice things up and Supergirl it was fun to see Win again yeah that have was him fun catch up on everything apparently he's been he's been living in the future now he says his wife is Ayla so are we which is Light Lass slash Lightning Lass, Lightning Lad's sister. So is he Lightning Lad's brother-in-law now? I guess we're to imagine. Um, It's not a coincidence. I mean, and he is a two-year-old. If he comes from the Legion time and he says he's married to a woman named Ayla, there's no way it's not supposed to be a reference to Lightning Lad's sister, right? Because that's, I mean, not a very common name. And he has a daughter. What's her, his daughter's name? Was, was it there like any Susan or something? Wasn't it? I didn't know. Mary. Was, that's right. Mary, he that's was right. talking about how he named her Mary. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and it's a fun episode. And so Jean now has this tower, which is going to be like their head, their like not Hall of Justice is going to be like the 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 staging ground for their little group of super mm-hmm. friends. Yeah, they've got a lot of headquarters now. All I know. Of a sudden. They've got the DEO, they've got the yep. Hall of Justice, and they've got this thing. I'm not mm-hmm. sure you need three separate superheroes. And Supergirl belongs to all three of them, right? Yeah. So she has three secret super and the fortress. She's got four yes. superhero headquarters. That's true. It's a little ridiculous. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Busy. But this was a this was a fun one too. So and and of course, um, Jeremy Jordan gets to play two wins. He gets to play like the an evil um, toy man esque win from another Earth That's that so Luther funny. sort of pits against our mm-hmm. heroes, and he gets to play you know our beloved win who's come back from the future. Mm-hmm. It's a funny scene when John gives him his pre crisis memories back. The one thing I was thinking about this the other day, uh, exactly how this works, because. Um, 
when he does that to someone, they get all the memories back of their pre-crisis existence. Yes. It's what we've been led to believe. How would John have those memories? He could give you... He could give you back his memories of you, but how could he give you back memories that you formed before he ever met you? So, for example, he goes to, like, Mia and gives her back the memories of when she was two years old. How the heck does he have access to that? How does he have access to Mia's you know memories from a, from an erased timeline? Can I, can I comic book expl- science explain this to you? Okay. Because of his psychic nature, I think he taps into like a multiversal resonance frequency that unlocks what was already there in your own mind. I don't think there's any... Like based on your genetic code or something. I don't know. Um, I would, I think I that would find it more believable. I would find it more believable if it was like Cisco or something, because he can tap into he can his vibrational frequencies. He can tap into other Earths sure. and the bleed and everything. So if he was able to like whammy your head, maybe in combination with Jean, or he d- d- come up with some device right. that well, could do which it, which he did. Yeah, by the way. Well, well, yeah, but I would find that anyway. more believable. The, but the idea that Jean, who simply has telepathy, right? It doesn't have anything to do with the multiverse. He has mind control, though. Because, uh, and but again, like if he can unlock something that... It would only work if those memories are there already. But yeah. there's no logical reason why they would be. Anyway, uh. it doesn't really matter. It just struck me as being something kind of weird. Um, Black Lightning, this was a really good episode. Um, the standout arc of this one is like the saving Khalil from his own mind, yeah, basically. But we get another, a lot of other interesting stuff with Jefferson mm-hmm. and his family having to team up with um, the ASA. Right. And they actually dropped the word outsiders in this one, but it it wasn't really like. It was very subtle because they're like, we have to do the outside. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like, no, it's like like um, Jefferson said to Gamby because of TC and um, the name of Jennifer's new friend, whose name I can never remember. Geo something. Um, Um, Brandon. Brandon, that's right. Um, oh, he's like, oh, we got two more. We got two outsiders in the in, in the, the bunker now, and I'm like, oh, is that uh, a coincidence? Uh, but I mean, at the edge. end, you've got Black Lightning, Thunder, <laughs> you've got Grace, who's an outsider in the comics, and then you've got a bunch of other characters who are, you know, either original creations for this show or whenever outsiders in the comics, like uh, like TC, are all going to team up to uh, to go save Lynn, who yep. I guess is in Markovia, even though she's in like a set that looks like the same sets we've been seeing of just the Markovian. Um, What's the story? What if they get all the way? But here's the thing, though. He, oh, this this was killing me during the episode, too. Because, well, first off, there are two things to remember. But but let me finish my thought. Um, I was thinking in the during the episode, what if it's a red herring and they go all the way to Markovia and figure out their headquarters only to discover that they were actually <laughs> kidnapped? the street. To, yeah. No, I think there was some dialogue and, in the Markovia sequences between yeah. their leader and Jace about so then, specifically being So then in here's my follow-up. Here's my follow-up. Because of the multiversal shenanigans, um, I bet you that this was one of the things they reset. It doesn't even need to be that. Just, they could have just gotten on a plane and they didn't show it to the audience. It doesn't it doesn't need to be that fancy. I just I just wonder no, like No, no, I, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Let me finish my thought. Um because in pre in the previous season it was established that there was a camp right outside of Freeland and they they were um the Markovian, you know, outpost outside of Freeland was operating and and even trying to steal metas that were running away. Remember? Yeah, I understand. But that but, that camp doesn't necessarily need to have been erased from the from the timeline. They could have just gotten on a plane that camp could still be there in fact i think it is because post-crisis jennifer did have that conversation with her father about how she blew up markovian installations just outside freeland and stuff so all that stuff still happened 
It's not the exact same place, but those adventures. What if she blew up all the Markovian presents and they really did Mm, get kidnapped? Yeah, but that was like their server farm, though. That wasn't supposed to be the same. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But Mm -hmm. I just, I just thought it was kind of like, oh, I guess we're in Markovia now. I do wonder if we're going to get like Geoforce or Terra or something because they even had up on the screen like Markovia, capital Markovberg. Uh, leaders, Markov family. And I'm like, ah, oh, the Markov family, eh? Um, Brion really and Tara funny. Markov. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that, that was, That's was, a lot of Markov. Like, they couldn't come up with different, different, uh, well, I guess it was named names. after the family. I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be. The whole country exists. And wasn't it's named the after Romanian one named after, like, the Romanovs or something? I don't know. Like, it, I mean, there, there is precedent for countries being named after, like, old timey royal families, right? And the, and the capital being either named or renamed for the current ruling. That, Okay, so the capital, yeah, I buy that because Leningrad and then Stalingrad. Yeah, exactly. And, it doesn't yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. mean it's I always mean, been that. St. Petersburg, but, yeah. But okay. I always get the feeling that, that Markovia was like a relic of, of an older time where they still have this aristocratic royal family that dates back hundreds of years. And so I could see, like, if they were the family sure. that founded this country, yeah, fair. a breakaway republic from some other Eastern European country that exists in the real world. If they founded it, you know, then the capital would be named after them. Because, you know, I always got the sense that it wasn't like, oh, this family took over the country by revolution or something. It's like, no, it's theirs by right because they've had it for 500 years or something. It's always got the sense I got. Right. It's a monarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But it's not like some recent monarchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's like an old, it's like one of the few remaining old timey monarchies. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Fair enough. Harley Quinn. This was a fun episode. That was great. Um, uh, again, I continue to love this Again, show. really emotional. You know, she goes so back good. and we're sort of conditioned by the current comics to think her mother is going to be a sweetie. Yeah. But it turns out her mother and father both are like really mean to her, alternately trying to have her killed. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. I, you know, all in service of her learning that, you know, her crew, what her family the people she turned really her back means. on, not yeah. the Legion of Doom and not her biological family, but, you know, the people that care about her and would do yeah. anything for her are her real family, right? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Poison Ivy is being held and experimented on by Scarecrow, who is a member of the Legion of Doom. Yeah. So the Legion of Doom not only was using Poison Ivy, well, they, well, they were kind of doing both, right? They were using Harley to get to Poison Ivy, kind of, but they uh-huh. also seem to be now using Poison Ivy directly. Yep. You know, so yeah. Or no, trying to anyway. We'll yeah. see how that goes. So the, the henchman discussion, that was really hilarious where he's like, oh, I'm going to get art supplies based on the salary that I earn here. That's yeah, the, hilarious. The, the, Underpaid the, the teacher. The early school teacher. <laughs> yeah. um, moonlighting is a henchman. To, yeah. So funny. So the final episode of Arrow. I love that they, just one second, because I, I love that they even established that there's an app for like um, an app review for, do you know what I'm talking about? For henchmen? Like, yeah. What was it called? It I don't had remember. such a good name. It was like... Um, I boss or something like that. It was is like yeah, you 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 know that uh, three stars is they tell you three stars is okay, but anybody below four stars is never seen again. Hilarious. So the final episode of Arrow. Mm. Um, this was a really good ending. So I, I like how they so they obviously they use the fact that the time so they they kind of hit you over the head. Yes. You kind of disoriented early on, but the first thing you see I think is is a. Um, flashback to a, the scene from season two where Slade is going to kill Moira. Yeah. But things go differently here. Yep. Where instead Oliver gets free and tackles mm-hmm. um, a body double for, for Manu Bennett because Manu <laughs> Bennett isn't in the episode. Yeah. Um, and saves his mother. And then it cuts to a lot of documentaries this uh, this season of these shows, right? It's just in the past couple of weeks, this is literally the second documentary being filmed about our characters. Yeah. Um, where Moira in the present is being interviewed and we learn that Oliver, you know, in addition to restarting, you know, as part of restarting the multiverse, mm-hmm. has basically, and you kind of feel like... Put a few things It's right. a little unfair because you really feel like his city got 
more of his attention than anybody. Like he's like Gotham, yeah. <laughs> National City. They're not completely devoid of crime anymore. No. He couldn't do that for the whole planet. Yeah. But but still, thematically, it's it. He he literally he saved, saved the city. city. Yes, yeah. I, I understand. So, but he also put his family back together, right? Um, his mother is back alive. Isn't right? that the, like the world's biggest mic drop though? What's up, Batman and Superman? All you gotta do is restart the universe. Boom. It's not that hard. I didn't <laughs> even have any out. powers. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so his his mother is alive again. Emiko is alive again. Yeah. Um, not evil. Tommy's back and apparently had at least a few happy years with um, that with the native Earth Prime yeah. version of Laurel before she, I guess, died in a similar way. Yeah. Um, which raises other questions for Black Siren, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Quentin is alive again. Yeah. Um, I feel like are there other examples that I'm not thinking of? We don't see like Malcolm Merlin or whatever, but I guess he's probably still dead because he was <laughs> yeah. most usually evil. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then other characters that we haven't seen in a while. Curtis comes back. Ragman is back. Yep. Thea and Roy are obviously back here too, in addition to the you know the main team. Mm-hmm. And obviously Felicity comes back for a few scenes too. Um, so everybody's there at the funeral. Sarah's there. Sarah gets Mia from the future. William, you know, younger William is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get the sense that he's healed the city. He's healed his family, you know. Yeah. And these characters now can, you know, the series is over, but, you know, these characters, now that the cast is not, is, you know, back up to full strength, these characters could pop up elsewhere too. You know, if they need a head of some corporation to show up later, they could have Moira Queen show up as the head of Queen Consolidated in some random episode of The Flash or Batwoman or something, right? Like, I feel like it's it's a good, it's it's nice that in addition to thematically being that he put his city back together, he put his family back together, mm-hmm. you know? That it from from a, the perspective of the broader universe, from like a writer's perspective, it's it's injected all these characters back into the the world that could mm-hmm. then show up el- elsewhere in spinoffs or or whatever else. In addition to the actual spinoffs they're doing, and also it's nice because it's it's hard when you have a show like this where they kill off characters regularly, even when the hero goes out a hero. You're like, yeah, but you still left a lot of bodies in your wake. You know, like a still a lot of good people died for you to do your mission. You know what I mean? Like, sure, it, you probably ended up saving a lot more lives than were lost because of you, but yeah. it, the death, you know, the scales weren't completely... Upended. You know you know what I mean? Like, there's still a lot of good people yeah, that died, course. right? But it's nice that, like, he was able to set a lot of that right. Yeah. You know, like, all these people that... People that he cared about that died because of mistakes he made or yeah. because of choices he made through no fault of their own. Yeah. You know? They get to have another shot at happiness. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I, I think that I think that's really nice. And that's something I didn't really know. Like I, I saw photos. Like, oh, these characters are good. These actors are going to be back. I'm like, oh, they'll probably be in flashbacks or yeah. like as ghosts or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't think that they were going to go this far and literally resurrect half a dozen characters just for the sake of one episode. That's so cool. But I, I do think it was nice. And then you get like, and apparently it was a very, very difficult to get all of those actors because the scene in the bunker where there's like ten people looking over Felicity's shoulder, right? Right. Ten, ten heroes. Yes. And then in the and the and then at the cemetery. Yeah. Or the or I guess it's not the cemetery. It's like outside Queen Manor, right? Yeah. But it's, you know, his Oliver's grave. And then of course, you know, Barry and Kara show up too. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So get this just getting all those actors in one place at one and time Nissa. was apparently very Right. And Nissa showed up. Like she's on <laughs> Hawaii Five O. Right. Um, the guy that plays Tommy is on one of those Chicago shows, Chicago M D or whatever. Like yeah. a lot of these actors have other not to mention I obviously got you know, Katie Lotz, Grant Gustin, and Melissa Benoist yep. are stars of other shows. Yeah. Sure, they shoot right there, but still, it's not nothing right. to get all of these people back in one 
in, in one, one scene. scene. It was apparently very difficult. Yeah. But but all, all these actors knew that it was important to the fans to be there. So Katrina they Law, really who plays didn't... Nissa, like she shot all day in Hawaii Five O. She took a red eye to Vancouver, shot her one scene, and took a red eye back or something because she knew that it was important to have her there for her and Sarah to have one last scene together, for her and Talia to have one last scene together. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, and it's nice to have her there. I think they said the one was there was one character. Oh, um, uh, Huntress was like the one character that they. And I don't really feel like you miss her there. But in terms of like every hero we've seen on Arrow, she had been in a handful of episodes years ago. And so they're I completely blanking the Huntress. I had been can't on the remember. She had been in several episodes. Um, she was one of the first heroes aside from Oliver himself that they introduced even before they introduced Roy. She was in like the sixth or seventh episode. They introduced her and she and Oliver like slept together and then they had like this one adventure and then they brought her back once or twice more. She teamed up with Sarah when Sarah was the canary as sort of like a oh. it's like a proto birds of prey kind huh. of episode. Um, wow, I'm completely blanking on her, but I believe you. Yeah. And so they were trying to get her back because they thought that would be like w- one other night. It's like, oh, here's a character nice you really weren't yeah, expecting to see, but they couldn't they couldn't make it work for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And it's nice. And so we get so all that happens. We get to see. Um, we get to see flashbacks of, um, so they were, if I remember they said that if they were able to get, uh, Emily Bett records for more shooting time, they were going to have the past sequences be the early days of Oliver Diggle and Felicity working as a trio. Cause they're like the foundational trio of right. the show. Right. Yeah. Um, but they could only get her for a few scenes. So instead, they decided to have the flashback scenes be the early days of just Oliver and Diggle's relationship, which I feel works maybe even better because Felicity, you know, her relationship with Oliver is, you know, very well trod ground and she gets great scenes at the end, you Mm -hmm. know, when they're finally reunited. But this episode really felt like Diggle's episode. You know, he's the only one other than Oliver that's been part of the mission from the beginning. Mm -hmm. He's like the last man standing. He's Oliver's, you know, blood brother. He's, you know, the one that's tried to carry on for him. He's the Mm -hmm. one that, you know, they had the most respect for and everything and he's there at the end mm-hmm. and he's kind of like the through line for the whole episode he's the one that delivers the eulogy yeah he's the one that gets the big level up you know <laughs> near the end of the episode which we'll talk about oh yes um, this is really his episode and seeing how they started yeah juxtaposed with you know how, how they far ended. they've come yeah. by the end yeah provides a nice emotional through line for the show and i always felt like He's he's been there for all eight seasons, mm-hmm. and he's got they've given him some really cool storylines, and he's got some great episodes. But I feel like of between Oliver, Felicity, and Diggle, mm-hmm. he's always kind of felt like the like distant third in terms of like the focus that he's gotten from the writers and the attention he's gotten from the fans. And mm-hmm. like he's a fan favorite character, but I feel like it's always about Oliver and Felicity ever since she became you know like a regular part of the main cast. It's always been about them. And whatever, like, new flavor of the month, like, oh, you know, when they introduce a new Black Canary or Roy comes back, people get excited about it. Diggle's always there, steady presence, you know, like the, the heart of the show. But he never really got, he was, he was like always the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Bit of thing going on. So mm-hmm. it's nice that the final episode is like his episode. You know, he's the one that kind of gives the show the send off because he's, he's the one that's been there from the, from the very beginning. Yeah, that and hasn't right. died and been resurrected. <laughs> he's, he's always been there, you know right. what I mean? Um. So that was nice. And and so you see and I and I kind of feel like and I and I read it through no small amount of frustration I could detect in Mark Guggenheim's tone that despite everything the show has done they've never been nominated for an for an Emmy for stunt work, which seems criminal. Oh my god. So I kind what? of feel like the sequence <laughs> in the last episode where there was this like 5 minute long wonder <laughs> of 
like this massive yeah. sense that goes like in and out of this one building and up through a roof and like I kind of feel like this is their this is their last final statement. It's like, look, <laughs> we're going to do the biggest stunt sequence we've ever done. I feel like the only thing that maybe comes close to it is the final episode where Oliver was in prison against Diaz. And there was there were a lot of crazy stunt sequences there. Oh were my running God. through yeah. the prison and there was like stuff was on fire and people were falling off ledges and they were having like this like running third, fight with Diaz. Yeah. That's oh, maybe man. the only other episode I can think of that's, that could maybe equal this. Like this, span four floors. Yeah, that was but, crazy. But I think this is easily the most elaborate stunt sequence they've ever done and any of these shows has done. So I feel like this is like, this show is known for a lot of things. You yeah. know, one of the things it's known for is having really elaborate stunt sequences. And so we're going to go out with our biggest one yet. You know, not that they were necessarily trying to be like <laughs> Emmy, Emmy bait, but right. it's like, this is, this is just what we're capable of. You know, we're going to top ourselves one last time. Um, that's wonderful and, and yeah so, that was a crazy sequence so so um so felicity gets to meet mia for the first time that that's was nice such a good scene um, oh my god i feel like we're, we're glossing over some stuff the, the thing with diggle is obviously huge so he and his family are packing up to go to metropolis and so we're yep. like oh are they going to be on the superman show or something yeah um this comet or meteorite or something crash lands next to him mm-hmm. which sort of blows him into his car he walks over. There's something in the crater. We don't really see what it is. He picks it up. It's a box. He opens it and he's bathed in this green light. Mm-hmm. So I think you were thinking, and the Metropolis comment probably set you up to think, like, yeah. oh, he's got kryptonite. Is yeah. now is he going to have like, to like have to take this now? to Superman or something? But I think you were unaware of or had forgotten the whole fan theory that John Diggle is this universe's version of, of John John Stewart. Stewart. He's got the military the background. Yeah. He's got the bearing. He's got like the you know kind. Mm-hmm. You know, moral soul and like a um, a soldier's bearing yeah. thing going on. His first name is John. He's obviously African American. Um, he's got the the cl- close best friend relationship with Green Arrow, which I is obviously know. a thing for the comics. And they've nodded to this several times. They had the thing when his father <laughs> was his, not his stepfather. Was his stepfather played by Keith David, or am I misremembering? No, you're not. Yeah, it was Keith David. It showed yeah. up, and his last name was Stewart. And yeah. so you're like, oh, but for a quirk of, you know, familiar relationships. Right. His name might have been Stuart too. Yeah. And then you get the thing where the John Wesley ship Flash from Earth 90 shows up in last year's crossover. Says, Hi, John, sees John Dingle for the first time and asks him where his ring is. So you're like, oh, on his Earth, is he the Green Lantern of Earth 90? So all these things. And David Ramsey has been like stoking these friends. Like, oh, man, it'd be really cool if I got to be Green Lantern. Like, it's And so it's what the fans want. It's what he, it's what, you know, mm-hmm. he wanted. Um, so I kind of feel like whether this ends up happening or not like whether this is ever paid off in any sort of real way i'm still unclear on whether they would actually be allowed to use the green lantern characters on these shows or whether that's like reserved for the movies i feel like this is just and they even said in one interview like we the fans know what we're doing we walked uh, right Right up up as close to that line as we could without the legal department descending on us so i could just see it like you can't show a ring you yeah. can't show the symbol. You can't use the words Green Lantern. But yeah. they can't stop us from having a box with green light in it, right? Yeah, That's yeah. just off-brand enough. Yeah. Um, and it so, confused, like, probably it confused more than just myself. Well, if you don't know what that is, then it's like, oh, like, that's What's a mystery that? that's going to be followed up on in the spinoff or something. <laughs> exactly. Which maybe it will. But if you're, but if you're, if you're like a hardcore fan and you know that there's like this fan campaign for him to be Green Lantern, then it's like the payoff you've been waiting eight years for, right? Yeah. So that was really nice. And then we get the final scene where the monitor uh, takes old Felicity. So this I was a little unclear. It's like, so is this, did this happen again in the new future timeline? That's what I want to know. Or the way that time works because she was ushered out of reality before time changed, was that like somehow immune from the changes to the timeline? Right. Because 
does he even still because he died so but did he do that before he died or like would old felicity even be the same look the same be in the same place at the same time in right. this new future timeline exactly. if she wasn't imprisoned by that city government right at with, odds because with of one her or archer two program or whatever. Yeah, yeah like all that would be it doesn't really matter all that matters is like that scene we saw at the end of last season still happened mm -hmm. that is her fate i guess she's ushered to which is pretty much what we predicted like this afterlife basically mm -hmm. um where she gets to be with Oliver forever. And there, you know, the the moment, the place and time that Oliver has chosen is the place that he saw her for the first time. Not the, not where she saw mm -hmm. him for the first time because there was a scene in season three, I think, one of the many times that in the five years he was on the island, he mm -hmm. left the island, mm -hmm. came back to Star City, and we see him, you know, looking over bushes, basically, yeah. at what Thea was doing a couple of years before he was rescued right. from the island, what Felicity was doing a couple of years before he first met her, um, and sort of retconning the fact that, you know, he had sort of, like, fallen for her from afar before, you know, yeah. they had ever actually fully met. Um, so here, so, you know, they're back here, and she looks young again. You know, mm -hmm. they both kind of look like they did in their prime when they yeah. first met. They're there in the building where they first met. It is a little weird, this, like, his office building. Like, oh, we're going to spend the rest of time here in my office. Like, <laughs> But they probably have all of reality and time and yeah, space exactly. to go wherever they seemed, want. Yeah. Like, in the good place, you know, they could go wherever they want and yeah. for however long they want. Um, yeah, it's nice. And I'm like, but I'm, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever learn more about exactly the nature of this afterlife but i'm like is anybody else there is it just the two of them mm -hmm. if there's other people there are they like imaginary people that would be kind of creepy like yeah. oh you can hang out with william and mia and watch them grow up but they're just going to be like fake versions of them not the real versions like i don't know like i mean this is obviously the theologically this is the problem with the actual afterlife that exists too is like well you know what i mean a lot yeah, of these same yeah. questions <laughs> could be asked i don't know if we'll ever get the answer to any of this but um I mean, as far as what this means for the future of those characters, I, I think that's the last time we'll see her. The, the, the question remains, like, he was the specter when he quote-unquote died. Mm -hmm. He's now here in this afterlife. But the specter is one of the most powerful characters in all of DC Comics. If he wanted to, could he leave this place for a time mm -hmm. to help his friends again as the specter and then come back? And be with her like in no time had passed. Mm -hmm. These are, you know, they, they have said that the, one of the reasons why they made him the Spectre, right. you know, as part of the final conclusion of his arc was so that, you know, it would be believable if they wanted to have him show up again. That's a smart In idea. a way that they couldn't if he was just Green Arrow and he died falling off a building or something. Right, right. right. Exactly. Um, so the possibility is out there. Like we've talked about, he's open to returning if the situation warrants it. He did say like, well, it's not like we're going to bring him back. For the season finale of The Flash in a few months or something, because that would be too soon. Like you feel right. like you kind of have to earn it. Some time has to pass, and it has to be a moment worthy of it. You kind of feel like, you know, he's done Bar his work. Barry and Kara showed up for the final episode of Arrow. Yeah. When it's the final episode of The Flash, and Barry goes to join the Speed Force or something, maybe Oliver's there as the Specter to escort him into yeah. his own afterlife or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Something like that. I could see it being nice. It's like a, you did mm -hmm. this for me. I'm going to do this for you kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know, two or three years from now, feel like enough time would have passed. Yeah, um, I could see that. Yeah, but overall, I think it was really nice. I think it was nice to, you know, we see one final sequence of flashbacks, you know, mm -hmm. like cause you got to have stuff set in the past and stuff set in the present. Yep. That's what the show was founded on. <laughs> That's all, true. The, all the characters are there, you know, the, 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 the city and, you know, his family and his friends are made whole again. Right. Diggle gets his big moment and gets to sort of anchor the final hour. Felicity comes back. I love Oliver the and Felicity get between the characters. Reward. I mean, I yeah, spent a Thea good deal. And Roy are going to yeah, get married. That's so nice. But I like the conversation between Ragman and, um, Renee. Yeah. Because I... You're the most like him. 
Yeah. Yeah. That that knocked my socks off. I really like that. I line feel like very, that's very always much. been kind of pretty front and center it in, has in been, relation, nation, relationship with Oliver. Like the reason way, why he annoyed Oliver so much is because he reminded him so much of himself yeah. in a way that like Dinah didn't or Ragman exactly. didn't. Yeah. He says, "Well, that makes sense." But I like Rag. I like that Ragman was the one that. Did I that. always really and liked I his like character, and I had, felt like yeah. they sent him, they shuffled him off in such a way that, like, oh, they're going to bring bit. him back, right? And then, like, three years pass, and we and never we hear about him. Again. <laughs> I guess. Like, not. did the actor get another job, or did they just feel like the team was getting too crowded, and like having him have these supernatural powers Maybe. was a little outside of what they wanted to do? Or, Maybe I don't yeah, know. I don't yeah. know. Uh, it's a mystery, um, but. I just I spent a good deal of this episode pretty much in tears because it was just so good. It was it was really nice to see all the characters be kind to each other and and be together and Yeah, it was nice. It was just it was nice. Just like nice. it was ge- it was yeah. even though you had all these big stun sequences. It felt like a giant giant hug. It was and, a, and it, it was, was a love letter. It was too. a love letter to the fans. It was mm-hmm. a love letter to the to the characters, you know, yeah. to the to the actors, like bringing them all back together one last and time. And from the actors all the too, people that had been just, there from the beginning, yep. giving them one last chance to to be on the show that they helped create. You yep. know what I mean? Because Tommy was only there for the one for one season. And yet he's always kind of managed to still feel like part ha- of the family. Because he's popped up enough and he's been referenced enough and he was important enough to the foundation of the show yeah you know these characters still feel like you know you know we haven't seen moira in six years aside from the occasional dream or flashback or whatever Mm -hmm. or alternate reality you know these characters were and and, but they're important they're established as being important you feel their loss as being something important and and devastating and you feel their presence after they're gone um, through throughout the main pr- characters' lives, because it just feels like that's how it would be. Yeah, but this isn't something. And this this isn't, is nice. This isn't something you would want them to do if the show was continuing. Yeah, it would feel sure. like a cheat. It's like, oh, all the characters we killed, now they're all back. You yeah, want where do you to, go from here? Yeah, you wouldn't but want. This them was to, a great goodbye. But if it's going to be the final episode, mm-hmm. we probably won't see most of these characters again. Then giving them a happy ending feels earned, and and especially the fact that this was the show that started this whole shared universe. Yep. These you know these actors. Their importance to this universe is, in some cases, kind of outsized relative to what it should be based on, you know, their actual time on the show. Like, we, Tommy Merlin was only there for one season. Yeah. But he was there for the first season of the first show in this universe. He was like a foundational character for yeah. this whole universe. So even though he was only like a fourth or fifth string character in, in one season of this show, like below Oliver, Diggle, Felicity, who wasn't even a regular at first, Laurel... Moira, arguably, Malcolm Merlin, arguably, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he still feels like, oh man, it's Tommy Merlin. Like nobody <sighs> cares that much about Tommy Merlin, but he was there in the very first episode of of the Arrowverse, you know. So yeah. it's nice to see him one more time in yeah. the way that it wouldn't be Agreed. if like they brought back some character for like if we saw like I don't know Jax again in the final episode of Legends of Tomorrow. It'd be nice to see Jax yeah. again. But we're gonna, oh man, Jax is like. Like, everybody likes Jax, but and, and probably more than they like Tommy Merlin. But he, Tommy <laughs> Merlin was there from the beginning of the beginning, you know? And right. So it just feels right that we see them all one last time. The one thing that I said we would talk about, which we didn't, is the whole thing with Laurel. So oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, we, we explicitly learn, as if it wasn't clear enough from the backdoor pilot, that this is the Laurel, the same Laurel, Earth 2 Laurel, Black yep. Siren, mm-hmm. with all of her memories and past intact. As like another weird remnant. Yep. Earth One or Earth Prime, I guess now, Laurel did exist and maybe still died at the hands of Damien Dark, but had a bit of a happier life leading up to that where she was married to Tommy Merlin. Um, Mm -hmm. But she still existed. So it's not like this Earth 2 Laurel 
replaced her in the way that seemingly has happened in pretty much every other instance of there now only be one version of yeah, most people yeah. unless you're like Brainiac or or um Beth Kane apparently. Yeah. Um but I and I'll, and and uh she says like but this other Laurel like the the or Laurel of this earth she was the one that Oliver loved she was the one that he grew up with why didn't he save her? Right? Yeah. Why me, basically? Like, yeah. it's the whole thing she's been dealing with. Like, I don't deserve redemption. Survivor's I don't deserve guilt. to survive. This was great. She's, she's the, now the only survivor of her earth, yeah. right? Um, and, you know, nobody really has the answer to that. But Quentin basically says, you know, you know, my daughter, you know, she had her life. She had her time. Oliver is giving you this chance. He believed in you. You yeah. know what I mean? He And, and we... Oliver wouldn't have wanted like you can kind of see it being written either way but it seems totally in character for Oliver yeah he wouldn't have wanted to bring like his laurel died and yeah he's brought back a lot of other people but but bringing back his mother didn't come at the cost of anybody else if he were to bring back his laurel that would mean that everything that this laurel had had struggled to overcome would now have been rendered nullified he wasn't willing to do that to her Exactly. So he's giving her this chance, even at the cost of bringing back this woman that he loved, yeah. right? And now the 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 wife of his best friend, yeah. right, is gone and not coming back, so that she can have this chance to have her own life, you know. Exactly. And I could see that if they get if the spinoff gets picked up, um, that's a lot. They spend to, some time with that. With. Yeah. Like she she's she's committed now to being a hero and putting her evil ways behind her. But not only is the, she the last survivor of the old Earth too. Her existence, her existence has is come coming at the, at the cost. cost of someone that so many other people exactly. that she cares about loved. Yeah. She probably, to her mind, more than they love her. And so right? she feels even more Wouldn't the weight Quentin, of that. who she views as like a, a, a father figure, yeah. have rather had his own daughter back? And right? he, like, she got a chance to ask him that. Yeah, and I she love the fact that they to... got one last scene together too. Yeah. Like not just those characters, but those actors, you know, yeah. their relationship going all the way back to the first scene. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think that was really nice too that they that they... Yeah. Paid, paid that off. I mean, realistically, I think that because they knew they wanted to set her up for the spinoff, it makes more sense to have this version of Laurel that we've gotten used to for the past few years yep. rather than deleting her and bringing back a version of Laurel that we haven't seen in years that I think most people agreed wasn't as interesting as this new version. You know what yes. I mean? So I think that they kind of, you know, so you can kind of see there's a little bit of behind the scenes planning going into it. It's not purely character based, but I think it works on both levels. So Agreed. Yeah. That was yeah. really good. I think this was a really good... A really good finale. I agree. It made me feel all the feels. And I just, I think that it's such an awesome thing. And looking back on it, just reflecting it, and I'm sure it's much heavier with the people that were involved in the show and the people that were working on the show in front of and behind the camera, that they established this thing that was just so cool. And I remember for my own personal memories, like I watched this show. I was a fan of this show before you and I met, you know. I remember we one were the, talking about it. That was one of the first things we talked about on our first date was, was this was show. how much you liked the, um, the, I was, uh, yeah. the backdoor pilot they had done for Flash. How yeah. much you liked the, the character and the actor that had shown up for a couple of episodes as Barry Allen. And I was telling you, I think you already knew, but I was like, I didn't know if you knew or not. Like, oh, you know, that was setting yes. off a Flash spin-off. Spent. I didn't even know if you I knew know. who the Flash was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it I was, was between, just kind of in the comic book thing, but I didn't know anything. It was between seasons two and three yeah. Yeah, that we met. So yeah. And I just remember um, sharing this love of this show with my sister who discovered it first. And so she's the one that turned me onto this show, props up to Diana. And um, I just remember being having my mind blown at the fact that something that was very much comic booky, something that was very much not on TV at the time, was making a mark and 
it was it was really small it was really slow and it was really just new but it made such a tremendous footprint in its first season that it just grew from there and it adopted it was like yes i i'm i'm starting this real world gritty feeling thing to tie it to reality to not make it too different from what's on tv but something that is its own thing i saw parkour on the on TV for the first time in my entire life like I had never seen that before I I grew such an appreciation for the athleticism of not just the stunt people who you sort of I hate to say it but you sort of take for granted that these are professional athletes who perform these things on but the actor on a show was putting so many hours into just being able to do these stunts himself and they were like they they cast an athlete first and then an actor second like he was growing into the role I mean the the mark that this show made on me and just is is unforgettable and I remember just seeing how it grew from that to what it's given to us since then like it it helped us usher in a time where I could see the flash in live action I could see Supergirl in live action I could see um Legends of Tomorrow like a really fun time traveling comic book show Constantine like Swamp Thing I holy crap all of these things that were started by this one show with Stephen Amell jumping over the hood of a car doing a Kong vault and adopting kind of tiptoeing towards the name Green Arrow it's just so cool and so the finale being just awesome really feels like that eight years of work has been paid off and I'm just so thankful that it exists because it's given it's given the uh, big old high five and like paved the way for other shows to create something new something different and it's just great I just it means so much to me as a fan so that's awesome and I just wanted to put that out there too Yep, definitely. So if you want to reach out to the show, questions, comments, suggestions, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Ooh. <laughs>